Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. the things I mentioned already. So digital legislation, it's uh, powered by the Ministry of Environmental Protection and Regional Development of Latvia. We'll be talking about uh, challenges for lawmakers and regulators. You've seen so many times that people from technology come into, I don't know, Congress, committee, and then uh, saying all sorts of things, and uh, congressmen and women are watching them in despair trying to understand what on earth are they talking about. So today we'll try to grasp that thing. So while the physical and digital worlds can be difficult to regulate, another challenge is looming on the horizon, that's metaverse. It's like we didn't have enough challenges already. So who owns assets uh, in a mixed reality space? How should they be regulated and who should do it? Roles of companies, society, governments, regulators, who? So, please welcome, for this hard work of this panel, Deputy Head of IT Department of uh, Ministry of Education and Science, Ilona Patonova. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And today I have an amazing panel uh, with very diverse representatives, and I would be happy if you would start, and we'll start with Liene, uh, to introduce yourself and present what type of uh, organization you are presenting yourself. So, Liana, yeah. please. Good afternoon. I am uh, director of uh, Digital Accelerator of Latvia, and I'm very honored to be here and to participate in this kind of discussion with some good uh, experts. Hello, my name is Gatis Ozos, uh, Deputy State Secretary of Digital Transformation from the Ministry of Environmental Protection Regional Development, but the ministry is responsible for the digital horizontal digital policy in Latvia. And I'm Steve Unger. I'm the chair of an organization called Cambridge Wireless, uh, which is a network of several hundred companies linked to the Cambridge technology cluster. We started out as Cambridge 3G 20 years ago as a, uh, basically a testbed for mobile data applications. We're now on 5G, thinking about 6G, whatever that is. Uh, I should also say I have a background as a regulator. I spent many years uh, on the board of Ofcom, the UK regulator. And as part of that role, I represented the UK in BEREC, the EU uh, body responsible for uh, bringing together different uh, regulators, which is based in Riga. So it's great to be back. Uh, and I'm Tilemachos Moraitis. Uh, I'm doing government affairs work for Microsoft, uh, covering Greece, uh, Cyprus, Malta, the Baltics, and Ukraine. Uh, and uh, actually, this is the first time that, I, uh, that I'm visiting Riga. So I was one of the few people that raised their hands in the morning. Uh, and uh, actually, I'm, I'm enjoying it pretty, far, pretty much uh, and uh, really looking forward to, uh, visit, uh, to visiting again. Okay, I hope you will still have time to visit it more than just this <laughs> building. Uh, but then we will start with how do you see what the current issues of digital legislation are right now? And we will start with industry representatives. Lena, maybe you can uh, give a short note on that. Even that short, I have listed out and I would like to stress out three points. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, the first uh, point is that um, 
Sometimes legislation takes very long time to make it and to get it forced. So the more time is spent on legislation, the less time we can spend on making innovations. And this is the topic from the entrepreneurs who said, okay, the government wants the innovation, but meanwhile, there is so, so short time of period when you can make it because the legislation takes very long time to make it. The other one, uh, the second thing is that uh, the regulation sometimes tries to regulate very specific technologies, like um, there was example of self-driving cars when in legislation was put inside the normative uh, point that it should use Wi-Fi technology. Meanwhile, technology goes forward and there is no Wi-Fi inside the self-driving cars, there are different technologies. So what, what should do to use all technologies and to fulfill the requirement of legislation or go forward to make new things in, um, like, or, or change the legislation. And the last one is um, the legislation exists and sometimes it's really okay, but uh, the thing is when you get to implementation, um, because there was also examples when uh, you need so much permits, you need some certification, who is responsible about what, that this bureaucracy, how to use these innovations in the real life, it's so big that you like stop the willingness even to try. And uh, this is very important when, uh, okay, you can t test in safe environment, but meanwhile, the innovations became alive when you try to test it also in real life. And uh, we should cooperate to each other to make this bureaucracy less so entrepreneurs are willing to use it more. So they, they feel that the institutions are open to cooperate. Tilamakas, does Microsoft see it in the same way? Well, more or less. I mean, let me first say that we now see a, a huge wave of regulation coming, especially from the European Union. And uh, to a certain extent, this is understandable. I mean, we've uh, been through uh, COVID, the COVID crisis, and now uh, the energy crisis, and all these challenges have uh, been actually reasons for technology to proliferate. And in, with this proliferation of technology, uh, European institutions, regulators all over the world are trying to understand how they can uh, regulate and how uh, they can protect uh, their, their citizens. And uh, just to be clear, we are, uh, as Microsoft, we are all in when it comes to regulation. I mean, we think that it is a positive thing. We need, uh, we, we think, and we are actually uh, actively engaged uh, on, a, on a member state level, on a European level, uh, transparently uh, with uh, the regulators to uh, shape together uh, meaningful rules for everyone. Now, uh, the issue is that uh, what we see sometimes is uh, this aspect of over-regulation of, or even of overlapping regulation. Uh, and uh, this, some, this can cause, let's say, some, um, some problem uh, on the innovation ecosystem, on small-medium enterprises, etc. And uh, what, we, uh, what we think about that is that uh, when it comes to regulation, harmonization, and uh, follow the following of uh, international standards that are already there is most beneficial. Uh, we need to avoid any kind of fragmentation of regulation uh, and give the opportunity to everyone to contribute to the economy and to, uh, uh, to uh, innovation. 
So, Steve, what do you think? What are the missing parts in the legislation right now? We, we talk all the time, 5G and applications, but we're still missing something in order to really benefit from it? Let me give two answers. Firstly, I, I think often regulation isn't the answer. Uh, my, I am a regulator by background, but sometimes the art of regulation is knowing to get out of the way, not to regulate. And I think in Europe, and I include the UK in Europe, we do have a tendency to regulate too much sometimes, so I echo those comments. There are times when it is necessary, though, uh, when there is a real market failure, real evidence of harm, and in those cases it is important to regulate, do so effectively. The example I would give relating to 5G, it's not even 5G, it's mobile. When I was a regulator, the main complaint we used to get from consumers rather than technologists was poor mobile coverage. So interventions to improve mobile coverage in rural areas, that was what people actually wanted. That was important for individual consumers, but it was also important for new applications. So if I give just one example, the example of telemedicine. If you want to release someone from hospital care and give them a sensor so you can monitor how healthy they are, uh, what matters is coverage. Latency doesn't matter, but coverage does. You have to be absolutely sure that that sensor will keep working. So for me, coverage, that is a market failure, and that is an area where governments and regulators should legitimately get involved. And what is the government's role in the digital legislation? Gatis, how do you see that from your side? I, th I believe that uh, each uh, state and also the government strives for more innovation, innovation like uh, environment friendly, uh, in, uh, innovation friendly environment. But uh, on, on this aspect, I think the, the government is one who is like on a balancing rope between uh, you know, more innovation and uh, so kind of uh, environment that drives innovation. On the, on the other side, securing the citizens' rights and, and human rights or whether rights for uh, autonomy and, and such thing. And so there needs to be this balance. But I think the government's main role is to uh, be uh, and create environment that is um, enabling innovation in, 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 in a way. And uh, I think that there could be, we could, from the life cycle perspective, we could look and in which uh, kind of periods, uh, what kind of approach should be taken by government. For example, before innovation phase, we have to create a um, legal uh, environment to enable such, for, for example, as a 5G regulation or 5G uh, e enabling this um, um, uh, how you call it, uh, bans opening, yes, 5G bans for, for innovation like to, to, to. Then on, on initial phases of innovation, I believe it's more like about to secure the rights of the citizens, to se secure those uh, uh, basic rights, uh, and then uh, and not, not go too deep into some specifics and, uh, and uh, technologies. And then on the third phase, when the innovations are getting more mature, we have to take care about some interoperability things, about like market things that uh, we, we want that innovation would be like diverse, not kind of monopolized, so the government sometimes need to make some adjustments here. So I think it, we could uh, take a look from the, this life cycle perspective, the role of the government. During today's conversations, I heard topic that five, in 5G, we tried to regulate this interoperability too fast. 
too soon, which actually prevented us from innovating and actually getting the best technology. I think, Liana, the, the, the example which you mentioned about the Wi-Fi requirement is something that says we need to wait until the technology matures as well. Maybe, Steve, you have something more from the government role? I go back to a, a, a regulatory intervention many years ago, actually. I'm quite interested in history and what we can learn from history. And in, I think, 1968, there was a uh, competition case, Cartophone. Uh, it was an intervention by the Federal Communications Commission. And it, the position they were in was that AT&T, the incumbent operator, didn't allow anybody else to attach a telephone to their network. Uh, the uh, the AT&T used to argue that any type of device might harm the network because of uncontrolled voltages, but it was nonsense. It was just competition, really, trying to think competition. The FCC intervened to say that uh, unless there is clear evidence of harm, you should stay out. You should not prohibit things unless there's clear evidence of harm. What it said was that... Uh, Established an interoperability standards to allow devices to connect to a network. And it said those standards were necessary, but they were also sufficient. Having done that, there was no need to do more. And for me, that intervention was really key. It started a wave of liberalisation. It led to all sorts of devices, including, for example, data modems being attached to networks. So I think that tells you sometimes the art is knowing what not to do. What's the minimal degree of regulation that's required to then allow the market to work? And so they were focusing on risks, right? They were looking at risks. They, they were, uh, their argument was that you could manage risks by allowing devices to interconnect, but with appropriate protections, but that was all you needed. Karanakos, mm -hmm. maybe you also have some examples which uh, to tell the audience on how government interventions sometimes can play back and maybe they need to be regulated yes. a different way? Uh, certainly, and actually I would like to tap on... Uh, 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 your comment uh, about you know the finding this minimum uh, aspect of risk uh, in order to regulate and we see that with uh, uh, the recent AI act that uh, European Union has introduced um, I was reading uh, and let me give you a very tangible example because I think you know when we give uh, you know uh, like examples from real life people can understand and relate better um, actually, Microsoft has been engaged with uh, the Latvian government, with the Latvian presidency, to develop a, uh, an AI uh, project on healthcare. And we're using uh, AI and algorithms together with the Riga University Hospital um, to um, forecast, to uh, predict, actually not forecast, predict uh, cases of gastric cancer. Now, as you can understand, this is a very, very important uh, project, a very, very important tool that not only could uh, save financial resources, it could save lives. Uh, but as I said, it's based on AI. I was reading a report by Digital Europe, and there is some analysis, there are some studies that say that if um, the AI Act is uh, adopted the way it is right now, for each small, small medium enterprise, the cost of compliance to the AI Act would be close to $300,000. Do you imagine how that will stifle innovation, how it will prohibit these kind of technologies to, uh, to develop? So this is, I think, uh, exactly the point that we need to uh, find to strike the right balance be between regulation and innovation.
All right, but so what the solution might be? Stephen well, actually, can I pick up on this? So I wrote an article of three or four years ago when, when the commission first came, uh, this current commission came along, they talked about, I think, originally regulate within 90 days based on GDPR. Uh, and I used the comparison, again, with this Carter phone case because, actually, at that point, it had been 50 years since the Carter phone case. Uh, I think it is risk-based analysis. If I think about AI, for example, there were some uses of AI where... There was very low risk. A movie recommendation, I think, doesn't need to be regulated. There are some risks which can be dealt with after the event, so competition issues can probably be dealt with after the event. There are some things, if I'm going to put AI into an aeroplane to control the aeroplane, I probably need to make sure that works beforehand. But understanding the risk in each case, I think, for me, is really important and regulated in a way that's proportionate to that risk. Bearing in mind always that the long-term benefit always comes from innovation. If you take the long view of history, it's not regulators that deliver benefits to consumers. In the end, it's innovators. And if I, sorry, yeah. if, I, if I may add to that, uh, we see, and, and this is the focus that I, I try to accentuate on, on the small medium enterprises, because when it comes to compliance, uh, big companies such as Microsoft and the likes they have the resources uh, to adopt. They have the resources to be compliant. It takes a lot of resources, believe me. Uh, when it comes to small, medium enterprises, that's not the case. They don't have the resources. Uh, we, we estimated once that for uh, you know, GDPR compliance reasons, we needed 50 people to work on it. 50 people is the average of, of one small, medium, of a medium, let's say, enterprise. It's a medium size yes, enterprise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So you can understand uh, how things can, uh, can really go uh, bad in, in that case. And uh, bear in mind that we are in a, I mean, we're living right now in conditions where uh, we are rebounding from COVID, we're rebounding from uh, the energy crisis, or we're trying to rebound, actually. And uh, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's me uh, who will tell you uh, that we need everyone to chime in and to contribute to the economy. It's not yeah. just Microsoft and the likes. But I think we work in a different way. We try sandbox approach. Gatos, do you want to comment or? or? Yes, I, I think this is uh, the way if we look uh, the forward, for the beginning starting from the policy design, we also have to like design, uh, we train to design long-term strategies or policies. And now if we took from this points perspective, it's very hard to design proper policies that will be valid uh, after five years at the moment in the I ICT or uh, digital transformation. So I think there is very helpful to have the governments to, to use and, uh, and uh, apply those uh, foresight methods to have like uh, different options and review them. And we had a great experience with OECD some years ago of doing this uh, in Latvia. So this already opens some options and different scenarios you should take into account. And then uh, regarding uh, the way how we uh, apply the regulation is also that uh, currently or some historically it would be like a central planning and then it will be execution and then, and then such way of approach. But now when we see we need this iterative approach, then you have like uh, innovation is the initial phase, you have like a less information, you do it kind of very soft and maybe based on 
on the on core values and the core like to, to, to ensure security and safety of the citizens and so on. And then when it matures, you can increase this digitalization of, so you have to have this uh, uh, iterative approach to, to regulation making. And, uh, and, and the third thing, uh, I believe is also how we design. It's very hard for government, for example, now we are speaking about the metaverse, so what will be the regulation of the metaverse? What we will be regulate, how we will regulate? So, it, and it's, uh, more and more we have uh, such situations that no one knows the right answers. So that the only way how to get to those answers, you have to have this uh, multi-stakeholder approach. When you bring together academy, business, government, then you have this, uh, discussion about the ethical principles and technological possibilities, and then you somehow try to figure out what, what would be the reasonable uh, level of regulation for such a phenomena, and then you can evolve it after some time. But now return back to the self-autonomous cars. So we have already some technology in place. We have some examples. I just read an article actually this week that uh, one of the stakeholders actually withdrew and stopped trying to push them to the general markets because they said that it's too complicated, mm. it's too challenging, but they continue developing this technology. Where? In a closed spaces. So they do see the potential of the technology, but they are bound by the technology or the digital legislation right now. How can we ensure that at least in Europe we are able to develop these uh, technologies further? Yes, please, Lena. I would like to add to Gatis because he took out the words from my mouth. Because <laughs> uh, uh, what we thinking about, what should be first, innovations or legislation? So as innovations, you made it step by step, you, you, you make it, you test it, you play with it, and then you go forward till the result. So maybe also legislation should done uh, uh, similarly that you are doing it step by step and not regulated specific innovation, but regulated like the rights of the citizens or like in general topic. And always you can add but to take out, it's very difficult. So maybe better it's to start with something very less and you can put it like up to time after time. And if the, also, as we can see in project management, when we started with waterfall, when you need requirements in the beginning and then you develop, develop, and then you see what's there. And now we became in this iterative scrum method, yes? When you do step by step, you make something, you test something, you see does it work or not. And maybe the same as with legislation, because it's very historical, long process how we do it. And it takes like four years to make something. Meanwhile, the, this innovation is already old. The technology is my mobile phone. When it came out, it was two years ago, I don't know. It's already old. After one month, it came out, right? And sometimes also legislation is the same. While we make it, while we we'll process it, while all the institutions are getting together to think about how it should be, does it fulfill requirements that you need nowadays after two years? But how do we assess the risks? Because I would still imagine that if we would look at the car as it is today, they still kill people every day. So the technology, if we would be very cautious, we would actually say that uh, we never let cars on the streets. They do. So how do you think how we should assess the risks from the regulator's perspective, maybe? It's a really interesting question. And well, first, I think you need to distinguish between use cases. Autonomous vehicles on motorways are probably quite safe, controlled environment. 
very difficult autonomous vehicles in towns, I think. But there was an interesting report published last year by the Law Commission in the UK, which is the organisation that recommends new legislative frameworks. And what th there was a structure defined, so they, uh, there was an agreement that at some point liability shifts from the driver to the entity that manages the autonomous vehicle. So there's a driver, you, you are no longer liable as the driver. Then the question becomes uh, what level of risk do you impose on the fleet, uh, the organisation that, uh, that, that runs the fleet of cars? And the basic idea, yeah, you, you can't make them completely safe. You're mad if you say it has to be completely safe because then it will never happen. Uh, but you do want autonomous cars to be somewhat safer than existing human-driven cars because that is the main benefit. The main benefit for autonomous vehicles is that they will be safer. So there was a, a quite interesting discussion about uh, trying to raise the threshold, raise safety standards, I think they talked about trying to raise standards to a competent and careful driver, for example. So the benchmark is a good human driver rather than an average human driver. That's already worth a great deal. And as long as you're realistic about your goal, then you don't deter the t technology innovation. But still, someone has to hold the responsibility for the mistake. So, so, so I think the idea was that a regulator would set these standards and that they would continuously, to the point about learning, you would continuously have to review the standards as you gained more experience. But still, don't we need to separate the areas of the responsibility? I think we also ask our audience about the, who should be responsible for the, for the, for the metaverse regulation. And uh, we have a number of technologies which are right now considered maybe even to be banned. For example, face recognition technologies. In Europe, we have a conversation that maybe we should not allow it being developed in a mass, where, but we know that China is doing that. Is that something that we uh, consider as an opportunity for us? How should we react? Why are you looking at the phone now? Well, this recognizes my face. When I, <laughs> yes. my iPhone yes. recognizes my face, and I'm happy using it uh, <laughs> most of the time. So I think that tells, Facial recognition is a very emotive subject. Uh, there's a, it's not a technological question, though. I think it is all about what human beings are comfortable using uh, facial recognition for. I'm comfortable using this, but I would not be comfortable if I was, felt I was always being spied on. So there is something about how you build consent for this type of application. But ruling it out completely, well, we're already using it. Yeah, we are. Yeah, if I can comment. Uh, one thing, uh, and totally agree, of course, with what Stephen already mentioned. Uh, just would like to add on top that it's not just the regulator or just the government uh, that uh, can be held responsible for uh, making sure that uh, you know this project, these products are safe and protect uh, the individuals that use them. I think uh, there is a certain level of responsibility that also uh, the companies held as well. And um, I can give you an example uh, that comes from Microsoft. Uh, when we develop our AI systems, uh, we make sure that they abide by certain principles, uh, such as transparency, fairness, accountability, uh, security, reliability, etc. Uh, and so it's, it, 
I mean, my, my generic comment would be that this is, these are complicated, perplexed issues. And it's not just, it doesn't, it takes actually a village to, uh, to come together and resolve them. Uh, the government alone most probably will not be able to resolve these issues. The industry alone most probably, again, will not be able. So I think we should all work together uh, to, uh, to find the proper solutions. Yeah, just a, I think that there is one, one, one layer is this like uh, essential things or, or, or physical things, but then there is also this uh, cultural layer that is very dependent on the culture you live in, on what you will see as appropriate or unappropriate. And uh, for example, I know uh, we speak about uh, uh, electronic um, uh, voting in uh, parliament for uh, colleagues, uh, our colleagues in the northern part, it, it's okay to do that. In, in us, we had very harsh discussions about whether to implement such things or no, or uh, digital identification. For us Latvians or, or Nordic part of the Europe, it's okay to have unique identification number and that government takes care of all your stuff across the sectors. But in other parts of Europe, uh, you better don't uh, like provide such opportunity to have unique identification number. And also, I think that now we're speaking about the levels of autonomy. What, what kind of le level of autonomy you would feel uh, kind of um, uh, convenient, uh, whether some, uh, you, are, you want more involvement of the human in the process or your, your, yourself, or you would let, okay, all the systems, let's do the, the work automatically. And so this uh, kind of digital ethics aspects, they are very cultural. Now, so this one, one part of uh, how we can make uh, this, yeah, it, it's not, there are no universal kind of answers also to those questions. But when we come to the digital world, we are in, in one single ecosystem, actually. So how do we sort it out there? Anyone? Only uh, difficult maybe questions? Maybe this uh, Web3 approach is like more on a community-organized approach. So different communities can organize themselves ac according to different rules. Maybe this is an answer to the next. So you don't be, you need to be uh, organized around uh, physical states, but according to some other values you maybe uh, you know, value. I know that there was one example which I definitely wanted Microsoft to share, and that was about the data security which you have an experience in Ukraine. Yes. Because I think it Actually, was very relevant to the regulation which we are discussing all the time, and maybe you can just give this. Uh, right, right. Well, actually, this goes back to what we said about digital legislation overall, how we can strike a balance and uh, what is uh, helpful and what not, actually. And um, as I said, I'm, uh, in my role, I cover also Ukraine. And before the war broke out, uh, Ukraine had very strict uh, localization uh, laws uh, when it comes to data hosting. Uh, all data had to be placed uh, on Ukrainian ground. Uh, no data would, uh, were, I mean, no government data, just to be clear. I'm not talking about private companies. But no government data could be hosted outside Ukraine. Uh, and these, when, when, the war, uh, when the war broke out, these posed a, a very serious problem uh, that uh, almost hindered the operational continuity of the government. Um, because uh, probably you already know that the first strikes uh, Russian missiles uh, did was to against um, uh, data centers. 
uh, to, to eliminate, uh, I would say, the operational continuity of, of uh, the Ukrainian government. And so what the Ukrainian government did and the competent Ministry of uh, Digital Transformation, Mr. Fedorov, with whom I had the chance to, to talk at the time, was to actually change the whole legislative framework in order to help their country to develop and uh, be able to continue to operate outside Ukraine, but at the same time uh, in uh, regards to the needs of its citizens. And we're talking about uh, citizens that are, you know, both in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine. And why I wanted to have this example, because we are living in the change of the climate times, and we never know which place will be struck. The floods in Germany, which took place this uh, past summer, was something was completely unexpected. So the question is, how do we think of this global world in a secure world, in a secure way, but still make sure that we are ready for the unexpected events. Because the technology, sustainability of the technology in this digital world is so much important. So I wanted to have this also for our audience to hear these examples. But there's one more topic, which we still have another five minutes to discuss. Because in the metaverse, uh, there is also an aspect of the uh, security of the children. Uh, Perhaps before going to the next topic, just one, one small uh, word on the, on the sustainability aspect. I think we need also to understand that technology, and this is something that also our CEO is saying, Satya Nadella and our president Brad Smith, that technology allows organizations and people alike to do more with less. And in the environment that we're living with all these challenges, being able to do that, I mean, to do more, to achieve growth with less resources is absolutely vital. Yes, and we start to understand how much dependent on the technologies we then become. And then we still want to return back to the security of the children. Uh, how should we approach the security of the children in the digital world? So, so I think the metaverse is an interesting new challenge for us, uh, and particularly for regulators, because I think there are two stories, really. One is that I think we have a set of norms for what is acceptable for children. We don't expect our children to be subject to abuse. We don't expect uh, them to be exposed to inappropriate content and so on. So there are norms that are already established for the way we treat children. And even though I don't know what the metaverse is, I think I know enough to know that I don't want my children to be exposed to those types of harms when they use the metaverse. And I'm, I am prepared to start setting out those principles in terms of regulation already. The other side, though, of the metaverse is on uh, debates about, for example, interoperability, where I have no clue how interoperability will work for the metaverse. And the art for regulators there is to wait. So, so I think the trick is, on the one hand, you wait to understand what, how interoperability works. But for child protection, I think you have to go early because you cannot afford to get that wrong. Any else comments? Yes, please. Lynn. Yeah, I would like to add that uh, if we, our topic of discussion, discussion is digital legislation, and sometimes maybe it's less legislation, then we can back to responsibility. Who is responsible about safety of kids and children? And um, sometimes it's get to the someone who makes all these things because the VR glasses is it's their fault, yes, that kids are going in viral. But I think uh, this is the responsibility of adults, of parents. And um, we can say 
and we can put this responsibility to whom I want to, to, to guard this or to you or to you. Everyone else is uh, guilty, but I think um, we should return to individual responsibility when it's related to kids. So we as an adults, we have a responsibility, even if it's not my kid. But if I see the dangerous, I think we come back to who is responsible about. Everything you can put in legislation, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that this is one thing which we, where we should refer back to the real world. In real world, we as parents are not allowed to leave our children unattended until age of seven, in Latvia at least. I know that in UK it's age of 12. Same. You can get actually a court case if you leave your child unattended. How come we think that they can be left in the digital world unattended? But I think that this is probably the last moment when we, when we speak about the topic, we may maybe finish up with having a 30-second quote about what would you take from this conversation back to, to your daily life? Have we had something that stuck your mind? And maybe we can start with Liana. Oh my God, so unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> but then maybe someone else wants to... No, I can, I can share. <laughs> Yeah, it's always uh, good to remember like this very popular quote, yes, uh, what is first, chicken or egg? And think the same about this digital legislation, that sometimes we don't need to make legislation first. Sometimes we need to just play in the sandbox to understand what the technology works. And maybe the solution is that we don't need the legislation, it's already there. But we need like to save place to play more than the legislation which regulates it. And afterwards, when it takes time and we are like understanding the thing, okay, then let's make legislation, but step by step, not already like big projects. Well, I would say that we are at a point in time where we don't have, let's say, the luxury uh, to um, get rid of technology, to say that we will not, that we will stop use technology, that we can live uh, better without technology. Uh, so what we have to do is find a way to strike this balance, as we said uh, numerous times, I think, here in the panel, uh, between you know use the use of technology and at the same time uh, regulate it in a way that it, it is safe and that it runs on trust. This is actually one of the codes that we use a lot in Microsoft, that technology Microsoft runs on trust. Um, and the last thing is that uh, this is why I'm saying we don't have the luxury, let's say, to, uh, to, to develop without the use of technology, uh, is because we need to think uh, of our world as a place where resources are becoming scarce and scarce. And uh, Microsoft, for example, uh, we, we managed to grow uh, about 20% last year. At the same time, our uh, cost our uh, overall operational uh, costs were down 17%. And that was with the use, with the smart use of technology. Got this? Anything? Yes, uh, I, I've just, this uh, approach that we've, uh, I really liked uh, the, the Stephen mentioned, this approach of minimal viable product and also minimal viable regulation mm -hmm. and the uh, iterative approach so we could uh, have a courage also in government to have such an approach, iterative, use sandboxes as a way how to iterate on that. And Steve, your last quote. <laughs> so very quickly, I, I, since retiring as a regulator, I've been writing a book about 200 years of regulation in telecommunications through many waves of disruptive innovation 
and the main message is for regulators to be humble, to recognise that regulation is often necessary, but it is rarely the answer to long-term benefits, if you like. Thank you. I think we managed the time perfectly. <laughs> well, then let's go to Paul and see what the audience thinks. Who should be the regulator? What should be, who should be enforcing laws in a virtual reality metaverse? Uh, the local government of law-breaking users country. It's one-third, 33%. Then uh, the local government, where the platform is registered or hosted, only 11% of people believe that would work. Then um, the platform itself, no trust there either, 11% <laughs> only. Then there's uh, an international entity, 45%. So that wins so far. So, of course, there's always some other options, possibly. Uh, what would be your options you would put at the end of this uh, poll? What would you add? Is there any other solution? Yeah. Well, I remember, sorry, back in the days when we were part of the EU, the country of origin principle were you? worked quite well. <laughs> uh, we were once, yeah, I remember it still. <laughs> I remember coming to Riga to meet my colleagues in Berwick, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had the country of origin principle, which said you regulate where the content has originated because that allows economies of scale, uh, gives that benefit. But there was provision for a destination country to intervene. So I remember in the UK, we got into trouble because I think we allowed alcohol advertising on television, licensed into Sweden. Sweden didn't like that. So you have to, have, you have to talk. And then we have Ireland who just give any tax you want to you know, be companies, so... That's the wonderful thing about Europe, we'll... Mm. Or Ireland. Yeah, and, and Ireland. All right. It's all different. Any other thoughts? For now. Thank you very much. Round of applause.